Morning, everybody. I'd like you to start by thinking back to the autumn of 2019. Three years ago, the autumn of 2019. So we're talking pre-COVID. There was stuff going on in the world. There was war. There was famine. There was stuff going on in our lives. But in terms of how it felt, it felt normal. It was normalish life. And then the COVID pandemic hits, which is obviously anything but normal life. And we find that there are people dying. There are families where there's multitudes of people dying. There are communities that get um, swathes of people really poorly and really, really ill. And there's people that have been really healthy, who are suddenly not healthy at all anymore, who have long-term effects, continue to have long-term effects. And not only does it affect people physically, it affects people mentally. It affected us socially. It affected us economically. Every single area of our life changed because of this illness. There was a time when normal life just seemed to cease. It just stopped, didn't it, in lockdown. Everything that we knew, everything that we expected just stopped. And it still rumbles on. It's different now, but it still rumbles on. And then the war in Ukraine starts, and it's devastating for the people in the country. But there's wider effects again. The cracks and the little indications of the relationships between different countries around the world are blown open, and there's rifts. There's food shortages, there's economic impact, the gas and the fuel prices go way up. There's divided opinions of what we should do. Refugees start to arrive, and it rumbles on. It's still going. It's not there present in the same way as it was in our media, but those people in Ukraine are still battling, and they're still fighting, and it still rumbles on. And then our queen dies, not hugely unexpected in the sense that she's an elderly woman and she hadn't been in the best of health. But she had been this constant, permanent feature in our country for decades and decades. Most of us don't remember anyone else being on the throne. And suddenly she's not there anymore. And irrelevant of what you think of monarchy or royalty, she was this figure and when you started listening to the words coming from leaders and people around the world, they talked about this woman of wisdom and insight and integrity. And for us, if we're Christians, it was so important that we had this amazing woman on the throne who stood up for Christian value and Christian belief. And we now have a king, but he's not yet crowned. We're sort of in this interim middle period so that sort of rumbles on as well. And then you add into it everything that's going on in our communities, in our church family, in our own families, in our own lives. Stuff happens in life, doesn't it? We're not immune to stuff happening in life. And that rumbles on. And then you've got still the wars that we don't hear about, the famines that we don't see in the media, the natural disasters that take place that flick onto your screen and they flick off again. And the impact of all of that is rumbling on. And however much we've been impacted or not, it's been a challenging three years. It's been challenging physically, economically, politically, mentally, socially. 
in all areas of life, whether that's globally, nationally, just in our personal lives, and it affected everybody of every social strata, from the richest person right down to the poorest person. Everybody was impacted and continues to be impacted in some way. And the things that were taken as concrete and safe now seem unstable, and the things that were relied upon seem less secure. And if you're a Christian, just stop for a minute and try and imagine those last three years without God, without knowing Jesus as our Saviour, without having the Holy Spirit who brings us peace and hope and joy and love. I don't think I have any concept of what that must be like. I don't think I can imagine that. No, that's not right. I can imagine that. But if you think about people that don't know him, that walk through all of that, having no knowledge of him, no understanding that there's a God with a purpose and a plan, no understanding that somebody who cares so much for us, no understanding of the Holy Spirit who wants to be in our lives and walk with us. And if we look around and we have eyes to see, people are reeling. They're reeling from all these different things that have happened and have continued to happen. And for some of them, they have become really open. You can talk to people and they tell you things they wouldn't normally tell you. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their lives. And for other people, it's almost like there's been this toughening up and they've withdrawn and they've poured into themselves and they're sort of toughing it out. But God's heart is that he wants to speak to every single person, isn't it? However open or closed, when we look at somebody we think they are, God's heart is to impact everybody's heart. And in the midst of all this, what people are longing for is a voice. They long to hear a voice, a voice that speaks truth, a voice that speaks with integrity, a voice that they can trust, a voice full of love, full of hope, full of peace, a saviour's voice. They are longing to hear the voice of Jesus. And how does he speak? He speaks through his church. He doesn't speak through a church that is a man-made um, institution following false doctrines, coming up with practices that are not based in the Bible. Lynn talked to us already about the Bible being our manual, and we should only be doing the things that are in the Bible. That's not the church that God speaks through. He speaks through a holy people. He speaks through a royal priesthood. He speaks through the family of God. And the issue, when you start thinking about God speaks through church, is it doesn't involve me. It's church. But it is each and every one of us. He wants each and every one of us to be a vocal speaking person. So if that's people, if you like, because we've got people and they're going through stuff that we've been through and they're in this position um, without knowing God, if that's people, where are we? And I've been pondering on this and I ended up going back to a Bible week in 2015, which I'm looking around and thinking how many people were actually there in 2015. And as a church family, we were given a word by Erling Thu. And we tend to say it's about stirring the nest and flying out of the nest, which is true, except there was a lot more. And what it said, as a nutshell, it's the season of the eagle. 
to soar on the winds of the Spirit, new heights, new revelation, new insight, seeing what God is doing, taking part in what God is doing, waiting on God and moving in the Spirit. Too many of us are too comfortable. It's time for the elders to stir the nest and enable people to fly, teaching heavenly realities, a new move of the Holy Spirit. Seeing what God is doing, taking part in what God is doing, waiting on God and moving in the Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about that, I know at the time that for many of us, we took flight. It took some of us longer, maybe, to get out of the nest than others. But gradually, we all started to take flight. But I've got this picture now as I look, and I see eagles back in nests. And not in a sense that they're back in nests, and they're flying off, and they're raising young, and they're feeding young, and they're uh, soaring to new heights. But for some of us, we're back in the nest and we are mature eagles expecting to be fed, expecting to be comforted, expected to be looked after, not wanting to jump out of the nest, not wanting to do that. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not what God wants us to be doing. And how do I, why do I think all of this because the words that we've been having in this season over and over and over again keep saying the same thing. In September, we talked about heading to new horizons and being out of harbours, out of comfort, into the ocean seas. And after that, we had three weeks, I think it was three weeks, on the teaching on identity in Christ. And I thought, that's interesting, we didn't have that that long ago. I know it's on Kerry's list of teaching that he wants us to do, but it hadn't been that long or didn't seem to have been that long. But it's important when we're looking to move forward and we're looking to advance that we know who we are. We have to know who we are. And then two weeks ago, David Rayner brings us the word of God. Are we settled? Are we satisfied? Or are we pilgrim people moving on for there is more, more, more? To do all he has called us to do. To do all he has called us to do. Lynn in worship team, I know there's loads of you here not in worship team, said this about autumn. We should not hibernate or bury ourselves in other things that cause us to become less sensitive or aware of Christ in us and our calling. We must never call off or become cold towards Father God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, or the lost around us. Graham at Prayer and Praise, if you hear on Wednesday, we as a body of people have things where we want God to move, strongholds to come down, healing for the sick, salvation for the lost, captives to be set free, prodigals to return. And in the meetings I've been in recently where we've been praying for one another and speaking words over one another, so much of that is about moving and stepping forth and stepping out. And I believe God is stirring us to move again. And he's stirring us over and over and over again. And where are we to go? We're to go out to where the people are. And what are we to do? We're to be a vocal, speaking people. Matthew Ling came last week. I just want to read something that he said. 
If you don't know exactly what your ministry is, that really doesn't matter because there's enough general standing orders that Jesus has given us to keep us going for a lifetime. Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, says Jesus, and you will be my witnesses. It's amazing how many people do not know how that verse ends. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you get lots of lovely tingles down your spine. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you might get some spiritual gift or you might have long and beautiful times of worship. No, those are not any of the things that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was coming upon people to do. It was to be his witnesses, to be those who testify about Jesus. And that's enough to keep all of us going for all of our time on earth. That's a big enough ministry. We are to be his witnesses We are to testify about him. Out of the harbour, a pilgrim people heading forth, a vocal people, a speaking people, speaking out where people need direction and ready to respond when they're seeking help. It's still a time for demonstration of love, for kind word, all of that that we know about and we've been doing. But it's time for us to speak. It's time for us to use the words that he gives when he gives them and to be his witnesses. And something we really need to understand is that people without Jesus only see with natural eyes. They see with natural eyes the natural world around them, the human viewpoint and perspective. If they have any sort of spiritual experience without Jesus, it's going to be full of deception and deceit. Because the only way you can comprehend the things of God is through Jesus. But as Christians, we still see all the natural and we understand all the natural, but we're also called to see the unseen things, to gain his perspective, to understand the seen in the light of who he is and his purpose and plan. And if we can catch hold of that, it changes our lives. It changes our priorities. And as we speak out as he directs, it impacts the lives of all of those around us not just the people in here, but far more importantly in this season for those people who've yet to find him. And in some ways, I think, well, we already know all this and we understand this. We've been taught it before. We've had sessions where we've actively practiced and encouraged one another. But it has to start with our heart. We have to catch God's heart for the lost To really have the influence and the power that he wants us to have, we have to catch his heart. There was a film. Too far. There we go. A film that came out in 2004 called The Day After Tomorrow. It was a, well, it still is, it's a disaster movie. It's about climate change. It's on a global scale. And considering how old it is, when I watched it again the other day for the first time for about 12 years, it's got really quite good graphics. Um, So it's this disaster movie, but in the middle of it, there is a story about a family. A story about a family. Um, And God's the same. He sees this huge plan, this huge purpose, all the stuff that he is going to do because he's purposed it and put it in place. And yet, he's interested in every single human individual, isn't he? It's just amazing. Just don't, it's just amazing. 
But we're introduced right at the beginning to a gentleman called Jack. And this is Jack, and he's at a symposium on climate change, and he's speaking to world leaders. He's at the top of his field, he is an expert, um, and he's ahead of everybody else. He's a maverick character. He causes waves and he causes ruffles and he upsets people because he sees things and he says it how it is. And he's standing before this symposium telling these people um, and they keep saying, well, that's fine, but at the moment we've got to sort out this and at the moment we've got to sort out that. We'll look at this sort of thing later. We'll look at this sort of thing the day after tomorrow. We'll push it into the future. And he has all these models and things that he uses to help him predict what's going to happen. And then we're introduced to his son. This is Sam. Sam is a quiet young man. He is slow to speak, but there's something about him. You can tell that there's a depth in him, but you hardly ever hear him speak for about the first three quarters of the film. Um, he's one of the central characters, but he's just a quiet young man. They live in the south of America, and Sam flies to New York City, flies north, and as he does that, stuff starts to happen in the climate. There is snow in New Delhi that gets deep. There are tornadoes that come along and raise Los Angeles to the ground. There is ice sheet falling in Japan. It's all just this imaginary what might possibly happen. And at the same time, Sam ends up in New York and it starts to rain. And it rains. And it rains. And the water starts coming up. And then you see this picture of a tsunami out in the ocean. And you watch this tsunami start to come inland and go between all the uh, high rise and everything. And this is huge. This is stories high. And you see the people reacting to what they can see naturally. People see this natural wave in exactly the same way that people see the pandemic. They see the wars. They see the stuff that's going on around them. They see the things that impacts them individually. And they run. They run for somewhere safe. They are looking for somewhere safe. And this is where Sam is. And he runs into a library. Loads of other people go. And they run up the stairs and they keep running up the stairs until they get to the point where the water has leveled out and they are safe. They're safe in the sense that they haven't been swept away, but there's no electricity, there's no power, there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink. We're in disaster movie territory. But all that Sam knows is that he has to speak to his father. He has to speak to his father because his father will know what's coming next. Because he's got these models and he can predict and he can work it out, he knows that if he can talk to his father, his father will tell him what's going to happen. So he rings his father. I have no idea if a payphone would still have worked in these circumstances, but he finds a working payphone. Um, he has to swim through water that is freezing to get there, manages to get through to his father, and all they manage to talk about, his dad just says, there's going to be a freeze. You must not be outside when the freeze comes. You have to stay indoors. And then he says, and I am coming to get you. You have to stay indoors, but I am coming to get you. And because Sam knows who his father is, he knows he can trust what's likely to happen next. 
And he knows because his father isn't just an academic, he goes out on expeditions and things. He knows that his father will set off and he will do everything to get to him. Back in the library, there's an authority figure, there's a policeman that's there. And he's been looking out of the window and as the um, snow and ice the water's all starting to freeze as it gets colder and colder and it gets firm enough to walk on and there's really heavy snow and he's watching people coming out of other buildings, other survivors, and they all start to head south. And this man looks out, he has no idea what is going on. He's got no understanding of what's going to happen next. How could he? He's got no um, idea at all. But he decides that what these people need to do is wrap up as much as they can, take everything they have with them, and set off. So he stands up, and he speaks out, and he tells everybody that this is what we need to do. And the people that are standing there listen and obey because he is the only person speaking. He has no idea what he's talking about. But because he stands up and does it in such a way that's authoritative, they listen and they start to move. They're desperate and they are crying out for a voice that they can trust. And his is the only voice that's speaking. Sam is sitting there, quiet, man of few words, and he just knows he's got to say something. He can't just sit there and watch all these people walk away. So he goes up to this man in authority and he explains what's gonna happen. But if they go outside, it's going to get colder and colder and colder, and then it will freeze, and they must not be outside when it freezes. He explains really simply, this is what my dad has said, this is who my father is. We can trust my father because of what he knows, and this is what he said we should do. And in classic film cin cinematography, whatever that word is, um, just as he goes, or we will all die, the whole library goes quiet. And these words echo around the library. And everybody's then going, well, who are you? And how do you know this? And how do you understand all this? And he just says, my dad says, if you go outside, you will die. We have to stay inside. We have to stay inside. And we can trust him because he's this expert. He's at the top of his field and he knows what he's talking about. And there's this really difficult scene. I found it really difficult watching it. He, Sam stands there as person after person after person ignores him and follows the other voice. And they push past him and he starts off and he is pleading and begging with people not to go outside. He is pleading with them. And then he gets to the stage where he just stands there. He said all he can say. He's said everything that he can, and people still choose to leave. Our responsibility is just to say what God tells us to say when he tells us to say it. We can't coerce people into the kingdom of God. We can't force people to accept Jesus. All we can do is testify to, to who he is. And we don't have to be able to come up with these massive paragraphs of explanation. We don't have to know all the answers to everything. It can be really, really simple. We can say the simplest thing, and that is exactly what somebody needs to hear. 
And if they want to know why we know this and how we know this, we can tell them, can't we, about our amazing God, our wonderful Jesus, who we know and love. God doesn't ask us to do any more than that. He just asks us to speak when he tells us to speak. He is responsible for everything else. The film goes on, and the group that have left have stopped, and there's a couple of men, and there's a brazier fire. Um, and there's these two men warming their hands. And they're saying to each other, it's getting quite cold. Do you think he was right? Is there time to go back? Can we turn back? And the policeman comes alongside and tells them again, right, we're going now, so off we go. And they continue walking away. We never know how and when the words that we sow today will bear fruit. You might speak to somebody 20 times or share with somebody about Jesus 20 times, 30 times. You might feel like you're talking to them all the time and there is no response. They're not interested. There doesn't seem to be a softening or an understanding at all. You can say it over and over and over again. But you don't know when that word is going to spring into life. You don't know when somebody who might not be you comes along and says something and it reminds them of all this stuff that you've told them. We might never see the fruit for some of the people that we really, really want to see come to Jesus. It might happen when they have moved away and they're far distant. They may never get in touch and tell us. All we are responsible of doing is sowing that seed and trusting that God will do the rest. Back in the library, they settle down. The people that are left, they find a big room that's got a fireplace. It's a library, so they use all the paper out of the books to start a fire. They've got furniture around, and they get to the point where they can do nothing more, and they settle down, and they go to sleep. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not where they would choose to be. They look after each other, and they go to sleep. And meanwhile, the father has set off. I can't remember how many hundreds of miles. He's in this Arctic vehicle that he has because he does expeditions. And he sets off. He gets so far, and that crashes, and then he walks. You can imagine everything going on. Um, survives all sorts of things. And he gets to this library, which is buried in snow. And there's just enough space for him to get in. And he goes round and he works out what room they're in because there's a glow of light underneath. And the freeze has passed. And he pushes open the door and the head torch that he's wearing wafts around these people and wakes some of them up. And just as it settles on his son, somebody else says, and who is this? And Sam says, that's my father. That's my father. I told you that he would come. And I told you that what he told me was true. We need to be really realistic about where we're living. Have we settled in the relative warmth of the library? Are we uncomfortable enough to keep us distracted from where we should be? I am not standing here saying life is easy. I know looking around some of the stuff that we face but it doesn't mean that we can't be out there talking to people, sharing our life with people. If we had a really easy life, we would have nothing in common with the people that don't know Jesus. 
If everything was always fine for us, how could we go to somebody and say, I know you're really unwell, but let me tell you what Jesus can do. I know you're in economic difficulty, you're struggling to make ends meet, but let me tell you about what God did for me. We need to be able to identify people, but it should never enclose us and stop us from talking to people. We should never just be looking after each other. I love our church family to bits. I love it when we do stuff together. I love it when we spend time together. But we're not called to be this family that just stays inside four walls and looks after one another. We are called to be out there in the world talking to people about Jesus. That's what we're called to be doing. So when we're asking God to speak, and when we're asking God for impact, and when we're asking God for word, and when we're asking God to take us out of our comfort zones, it's not for just in here. It's so valuable what we have in here, but we're to be out there. And if we're out there, we can then invite more people in, and they will experience everything that we know, everything that we love. We need to be a people who are out there. It will never ever be a time for us to settle and wait. If you look around at the older members in our church family, I don't see any of them that are settling down. Some of them have done so much in the name of Jesus, and they've stood so faithful through trials and difficulties, so faithful, and they're like a shining light to us that you keep going. You just keep going, doing what God asks you to do when he asks you to do it. We're pioneers. We are pilgrim people out on the ocean seas. That's where God wants us to be. And he keeps on telling us that. And he will keep on telling us that until we really move and we really start to do that. The title of the film, The Day After Tomorrow, keeps it really comfortable. Stuff isn't going to happen today. It's not even going to happen tomorrow. Stuff's going to happen the day after that. It's just distance enough for these world leaders to think, don't need to do anything. I've got more difficult things at hand. Don't need to make any effort to do anything at all at this stage. And if we're not careful, it can be the same for us. We might think, well, when this gets sorted out, or when I've resolved that, or when there isn't this pressure, or when there isn't that pressure, do you know that is never, ever going to come? You're going to have periods in your life that are wonderful, and then there will be periods in your life where it's not so wonderful. That's just human life, isn't it? And the danger is that we can think, I don't need to do this today. I can wait, not till tomorrow. I can wait until the day after tomorrow. And we can think of the world and the people around us as this big thing out there. But for each and every one of us, we are surrounded by people each and every day. Each and every day who don't know Jesus. It might be work colleagues, family, neighbours, people that we know quite well. It might be the stranger on the street. It might be the person in the supermarket and God wants you and tells you to go and start talking to them. And for us, today is the day. For God, he is saying, today is the day. We're going to be hearing in the next period of four weeks-ish about mission and about witnessing and about sharing our faith. And I felt there might be three possible responses this morning. One is, absolutely, God, that's where I am. 
I really believe that I am out there and I am talking to people and I am doing what you're asking me to do and I am sensitive to you. I'm out there among the people. I'm waiting to hear your voice and your nudge and then I'm speaking and I'm, I'm obeying when I hear it. It might be that you're thinking, God, I really, really want that, but I really, really don't feel capable. I don't feel able. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to put it in words. I don't know how to share that. I don't know how to respond to that. If we can catch his heart, if we can catch his heart and start to see people as he sees them, all the head knowledge that we already have sinks and hits our heart. And over these next few weeks, as we go through teaching and exercises and workshops, which I would really encourage every single one of you to be at, as we go through those, we will learn. And it might be stuff that we've learned before, but because we've caught his heart, it will impact us in a completely different way. And then we will go out into the world knowing that that's what we need to be doing because that's what he commands us to do, but doing it with a heart that really wants to see people saved, people rescued. And the other response could be, to be perfectly honest, I have no desire to do any of that whatsoever. There's no good pretending with God. It's no good saying, yes, God, let's go, when inside you're thinking, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. Life is already uncomfortable enough but we are commanded to go. It's the whole purpose for us. That's why Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, was so that we can go and be witnesses and testify to him. And when you talk about catching God's heart, it isn't this feeling. It's not mushy sentimentalism. It doesn't necessarily give you goosebumps and make you feel all fizzy inside or anything like that. It's a decision. It's a decision that that is what we want, regardless of how we feel, regardless of how terrified we might be, that is what we want. If we've got a willingness to ask and to expect to receive, if we have that desire, God can meet that exactly where we're at, exactly where we're at. And he can even give the desire if that desire isn't there. And I believe it's a decision day for people. For some folk, it's going to be really straightforward and it's just, yes, God, or whatever, however you're choosing to respond. But for other people, I really feel like you're going to need some time. It's not a everybody come up the front or everybody stand up and we'll pray and then we'll all go home. I really felt that for some people, there will need to be some time. So in a minute, we're going to stand up because I want to pray. But there is tea and coffee, or there will be tea and coffee over the other side. Um, eventually, we'll have children that we need to go and collect. But what I really believe we need to do is give some time for people just to really respond. So can I encourage you that after we've prayed, at whatever point you've decided, okay, I can go, that's fine. Can you wait to talk until you get outside, please, rather than talking in here? If you want to talk to somebody or get somebody to pray with you or something like that, grab hold of somebody. But I think at least initially, it's just us and God and where we're at. Is that okay? Can I ask you to stand up, please?
Father, I thank you that your heart is for each and every person. Father, I thank you that although you're the God of the grand scale, you are a God of each and every individual. And Father, I just ask for us this morning that where we need to catch your heart, maybe catch your heart anew, Father, that we will do that. Father, we will draw close to you and that you will enable us to see people as you see them. Father, that you will give us a, a willingness to be obedient to you, that when you ask us to speak, we will speak. We will be that voice that people are longing to hear. Thank you, Father.